Hello, and welcome to the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast. I am your host, the anxiety nutritionist, gut and hormonal health expert, yoga and meditation teacher, and cat mom, Taylor Jandro. And this podcast is designed to show you how to relieve and resolve your chronic anxiety through the powerful combination of food, lifestyle changes, targeted supplementation, gut and hormonal health optimization, nervous system regulation, yoga, meditation, mindset, lifestyle coaching, and more. And today I've brought back my friend, April Mather, who, if you remember or have listened to episode five of this show, she is a relationship and manifestation coach, a single mom, and a busy one at that, of course, since she runs her own business. And she is back on the Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast to provide all the mamas in my community with a treasure trove of tips, tools, and advice to help moms navigate the complex balance between nurturing their families and caring for themselves. Obviously, I am not a mom of human children, just my fur babies for now and maybe forever. We'll see. I'm actually very open to adoption. When I was maybe 12, I was working at my parents' school. They own a Montessori school, and I used to work there in the summers. And there was a family who both their sons were adopted, and I was really drawn to them. I have no idea why, but I just really was. I really, really – I was just, like, drawn to them, and that really planted a seed in my head that maybe I wanted to adopt. And now, as an adult, I'm 32 – at the time of recording this, I still don't really have any desire to have children at this time or even just ever have my own biological children. But I think I may be open to adopting later. I'm just in general really open to changing my mind. I think that that we have to be like that in this life because we never really know where life is going to take us. So why not just go with the flow and be open to changing my mind as much as much as possible and just seeing where life takes us. But Steve and I are very much on the same page that at this moment, we really don't see children in our future, but we are again, both open to that maybe changing. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. The point is I'm not a mom, but I work with a lot of moms and I have a lot of friends that are moms. And I obviously have, you know, mothers myself. And I have noticed from all of these beautiful mamas in my life that a lot of women struggle to put their health and themselves in general first. And I know there's so many reasons for this. Maybe your child has special needs or you're a single parent or you suffer from anxiety, which makes everything 10 times harder, or you have a really demanding job and you're also trying to mother your children. And of course you're the cook and the cleaner and all the things. And I know it's maybe easy to look at me and be like, well, she's not a mom, so she doesn't get it. So I want to make sure that I'm bringing on a lot of my mom friends and colleagues who are busy moms, yet they still find ways to prioritize their health. So how are they doing it? Let's dive in and find out, shall we? Okay, April, maybe you can help me figure out how to say this. I have noticed a trend, a theme. I have noticed from working with my clients who are moms, from observing some of the women in my life who are moms, and from observing my own mother, that when we are looking to make changes, be that diet or lifestyle changes to release and resolve our anxiety, which is what I help women do, 
they're kind of quick. It's, it's, it's just easy to use the excuse that like, oh, I don't have time because I'm a mom. But th- that's not how I want to say it. How do I want to say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hmm. How could you say that? I think it's I think it's because it's so normalized in society and we have evidence to back it up. So it's, it becomes the easy, it's easy for moms to blame motherhood on not having time because that's what everyone says. Boom. Okay. So April is back (laughs) y'all. And I have specifically brought her back to speak to to empower all my mamas out there who are listening, to empower you to ask for support and first and foremost, to put yourself first, to put your needs, to put your health first because I am not a mom. And so I know that it's going to be way more powerful coming from somebody like April who is not only a mom, but she's a single mom who does very successfully co-parent with her ex but she is still the primary the primary parent. And so hearing her talk about how she asks for support and how she puts herself first will hopefully inspire all you other mamas to do the same. So April, take it away. Yeah, thank you so much for having me back. So I am April Mather. I am a relationship manifestation coach. Not only am I a single mom, like you said, Taylor, but I also run my own business. So we've got Woo-woo! a whole <laughs> Yes. So I am the primary caregiver. My daughter is currently six and a half years old at the time we're recording this podcast episode. Um, she is with me 95% of the time because her father lives a fairly, fairly far drive out of town. So this is how we do it these days. So I very much feel like the number one go-to person. And I know if you're a mom and you're listening, you feel like that as well, whether you are with your partner or not, (laughs) because I was still, I still felt like this when I was with my partner. So this is something that I actually very much struggled with um, from the moment I became a mother, literally within the first 24 hours. And just as a little backstory, um, Taylor and I were chatting about this before we came on, but I am also a holistic nutritionist. Um, I used to practice. I don't really do it anymore, but I- It wasn't for her. (laughs) It wasn't for me. No, I, but I use the information for my own health and my family's health and well-being. Yeah. Um, So I was, I was doing this. I was practicing the information that I had learned as a holistic nutritionist before I even became pregnant. I embodied self-care. I was looking after myself. I was sleeping. I was doing all the things you do before you have children, Um, plus some, right? And I really, literally the day I had my daughter, um, we were supposed to have, we were supposed to, quote unquote, have a home water birth. And the inflatable pool that we rented was all set up in the upstairs spare bedroom. We had plans where the big kids, because I have three stepkids, where they were going to be. And the backup hospital bag was ready to go. And we ended up going into the hospital. And I had to be induced. And 
nothing went to plan. I ended up having a C-section and my daughter went into NICU. So this was, this was the very, I would say the very moment when I completely dropped all self-care and everything became about her. What does she need? What do I need to do for her? How do I need to show up for her? Like literally I will do anything. And I, I know that anyone listening who's a mom will feel the same way. So when I talk about this um, C-section situation, it was, I was in a separate room so I could sleep when I needed to sleep. And they would call me from the NICU to let me know when she woke up and needed milk because I was breastfeeding. And I honestly, I think I took the wheelchair once and deemed that it was not fast enough. (laughs) So (laughs) I walked from my room in a separate ward post C-section. And it's like, if I don't know, it's major abdominal surgery um, to the NICU so I could get to her. Was it the same speed? (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) As a wheelchair. It was, I feel like it was faster. I, I had to hold on to the railing, but my husband at the time was pushing me in the wheelchair. And I mean, like, come on, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Let's You're go. the mama bear. You're like, I need to go feed my baby. Like yeah. you are not pushing me fast enough. Yes. I need to get there. And I remember their words too, from the NICU, they would say, your daughter is awake and she's quite ravenous and you could hear her. She's always been like loud and <laughs> very demanding. So you could hear her. She was hungry and I had to get there. So I just, I walked, I did it myself and I don't recommend this. <laughs> I don't recommend this because obviously this was not good for my abdominal healing. I am still actually dealing with um, prolapse and working on my uh, muscles, my pelvic muscles to lift those again. Um, but I believe a lot of that, hap- that a lot of that came into play um, from not taking care of myself right after C-section. Um, but I mean, also breastfeeding, that literally, that changed immediately. I remember the lactation consultant would explain to me that I needed to sit up nice and straight and then hold her this way. And the moment she walked out of the room, I would hunch on purpose because I knew she was getting milk faster. And I, I didn't care. It was, I will fix my posture after. Mm-hmm. I'll fix my posture when I know she's fine. And that becomes years, months and years later. And this, this it's so incredible to me when I go back and think about how much motherhood changed the way that I cared about myself and it happened so fast. And I I don't even imagine, like I'm not a mom, obviously I have, I have cats that I love fiercely and I feel like I would take a bullet for them, but (laughs) I'm not sitting here comparing my fur babies to human children. (laughs) I've also been a nanny and I have loved those children fiercely, like as if they were my own. But, um, I can only imagine that as a mom, it just nothing else matters. Like truly, you're just like the only thing that matters is the child. 
It's true. It, it, it is. It's truly like, and I mean, it, it can happen with fur babies too. Like, and, and the kids that you nannied, it's this, it's that intensity of, I must do everything for these beings or for this being. It, it's just like this gut instinct. You just can't get rid of it. Um, some other ways that went on for years were showering, uh, personal <laughs> hygiene, <laughs> tanked <laughs> that definitely tanked and not just the first week or the first two weeks or the you know the three months postpartum no that was that was years I did not shower regularly for years because I didn't have time for myself I didn't have time to do that quote unquote time quote unquote time gotcha. I didn't yeah that is what I believed and I, I had a, a really great yoga practice before that too. That was out the window. You were a and yoga I, teacher. I was a yoga teacher. Yeah. I knew how to do it. It's not like I even had to go to a class. I could do it in my living room because I, I knew it. I yeah. taught it. <laughs> it was in you. It was you. <laughs> yeah. It was a part of me and I, I dropped it completely and my diet, my diet also suffered and I went to I need to eat whatever is fast and quickly accessible. And if it's not, then it's it's not happening. And I just, I have to worry about feeding her and drinking water. And I, I guess I did well with the drinking water, but that was because I knew I needed to hydrate so I could breastfeed. Yeah. I love, I love that you pointed out the yoga and the diet because I think maybe a misconception might be like, oh, like a yoga teacher would never lose their practice or a, a nutritionist would always take care of themselves. And that's simply not true. At the end of the day, we are human and we succumb to whatever it is that's going on in that season of our life. And you as a new mother, convincing yourself that you did not have time to prioritize yourself and take care of your, yourself first and that you had to take care of Aurora first and foremost Mm -hmm. As a nutritionist, as a yoga teacher, you let those things slip. And this isn't to shame you in any way, but just to bring awareness that like this happens and it happens to all of us. Yes. I would even say um, when you talk about shame, I, and I didn't take that as shame at all, I, but I would say that I felt ashamed that like while I was living it, there was, there's this duality of I know better. I know how to do yoga. I know I can do three sun salutations right now. Mm -hmm. I know I can do that and I'm not doing it. So there was guilt. There's like mom guilt side by side with I'm not doing enough for me guilt. And it's it was the mom guilt that won for a long time. Um, but it it doesn't have to be that way. I did change it. And you can change it when your kids are young, too. That was one of the things I used to hang my hat on was, I know how to do yoga. You might say, I know how to go to a, an exercise class or go to the gym. I just can't right now. Mm -hmm. I just can't in this season of life. And I think it's just because it's normalized that, yeah, it's hard with young kids. And it's supposed to get easier as they get older. It's it, it does, I guess, to an extent, but it changes. There's other pieces that become harder. So it's not, it, it has to be, 
I wish I had changed it sooner. I wish I hadn't let those things slip, even if I kept pieces of it and gradually started reintroducing them if I let it all go. Somebody said to me the other day, I was having a conversation with this wonderful woman and she was saying, um, I'm a teacher and I'm a mom. So that's just like prime anxiety territory. And I said to her, what part of that is prime anxiety territory? And she was like, well, being a mom, like it's normal, you know, I can't, I can't do the things that I know I need to do. Like all the things you talk about, she was responding to like one of my stories and she's like, all the things you talk about, like in theory, I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds great. This sounds like it'll work, but I'm a mom and I'm a teacher. And so where do I piece that in? And so that was one of the reasons I actually reached out to you as well. It was like, hey, we need to record something on this because it's going to be so much more powerful coming from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is a really good example because yeah, I, I get where she's coming from. I can totally see that. And that's, that's a really good way to just uh, make it okay. And not saying that in a mean way or anything, but mm-hmm. there it, there is another way. And I think the first part of realizing that there's another way to still take care of yourself and be a teacher and a mom or just a mom is to realize that life before kids is different than life after kids. And so I know I was striving for that 90 minute Ashtanga yoga practice mm-hmm. uninterrupted that I love. Not happening. <laughs> Not happening. And if I couldn't get that, I wasn't going to do it. And yeah. I just couldn't find 90 minutes. And that's okay. Maybe, you know, it's it can be more chunked out after you have kids, especially when they're young. Um, but it changes. It doesn't mean that you can't do yoga or you can't prepare a different type of meal. Like there's so many ways around when I, when I started getting my diet back on track, for example, I would, what really helped me was to batch them. So I couldn't just go to the kitchen and make a one-off snack or a one-off lunch anymore with all of the pieces that I know are important for my blood sugar and things like that. I would have to make, you know, a big bowl of salad with the base that would last me three days of lunches. And it was things like that that changed my mindset around, it is possible. I just have to do it differently than I was before. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You said something at the top of this episode. You said something in the last episode we recorded together as well, which for everybody, if you haven't heard it, it's episode five. We talked about um, recognizing, looking at your romantic relationships and seeing if maybe that's influencing anxiety, which it was for me in one of my relationships. But you said something in that episode as well. And you said the word intentional and you said it a few times and it really stuck with me because isn't that just kind of the secret sauce is living life with intention and doing everything with intention. You said your divorce was intentional, your separation was intentional, and that's why you you are so beautifully co-parenting together because everything is done with, with intention. And it's the same thing with your diet and your lifestyle, like approaching how we live our life with intention is going to be the game changer. And that means meal prepping. And that means preparing food. And even for me, I don't have kids. I work multiple jobs, but if I, there, there is, there is no situation where I'm literally just like preparing a one-off thing. 
because I just wouldn't, I wouldn't eat properly that way. Like I have to meal prep. I have to sit down and be like, what am I eating this week? Okay, let me prepare it. I think most people do because most of us are busy. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, and it that, that is it. It's intentional. And I think before you can be intentional about self-care type things, I think after you have kids, there has to be um, sort of an honest sit down, look at your priorities and what you care about, because hands down, it's going to be your kid mm-hmm. or your kids, plural. Um, and that's not, it's true, but it's not a hundred percent true. It, it really, it does have to be you first, because if you don't look after your diet, if you don't look after your movement, if you don't look after your mental wellness, it's directly affecting them. And I don't, say this from reading all the social media memes and posts and things like that, right? It's all over the place. I say that from from firsthand experience and with my clients, to be honest, it's it literally affects the people in your life and the very people that you want to do your best for, those are the people that I don't want to say suffer because it's not. Yeah, it's but they're impacted. They're impacted. The most. They're impacted the most. Yes. They're getting the the stressed out version of me. They're getting, whether I'm keeping that inside my head or not, I firmly believe in energetics and the fact that when I'm stressed, people around me can feel that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So whether I'm communicating that I'm stressed or verbally talking about it around my daughter, she feels it. And when you look at it that way, I it, it just becomes so much more important to really look after yourself, even if it starts off in baby steps. And then those baby steps just become new habits and it becomes easier and it doesn't, it doesn't feel hard anymore. Yeah. Trying to change too many things at once is going to feel extremely overwhelming, especially if we are already anxious and then we're trying to make all these changes. It's going to feel impossible. It's going to feel unattainable. And then we just throw our hands up and we're like, well, this isn't going to work for me when really like we have to take these micro, micro baby steps. I talk about this all the time. We talked about it in our other episode. I will, I will say this at nauseum, like what's that expression? Like I will die on this hill. Yeah, yeah. I will die on this hill. I will die on the hill that like, if you have anxiety, you have to look at your gut health and I will die on the hill that, um, that you have to take baby steps and slow and steady wins the race. It's the only sustainable way to create change. Yeah. Yeah. Fully agree. Fully agree. And that doesn't come naturally to me, but that is how it works. And that's how it always works when I'm implementing change. So here's what actually happened though, before (laughs) I got myself back on track. I A little before and after. (laughs) We're at the after now. Yes. The before was burnout. Finally, I hit burnout, adrenal fatigue. My hormones became imbalanced. We had a really nice wedge between my husband and I. It was, I was irritable. I didn't think he was doing anything right. I had to do everything myself. There was, you know, just the whole relationship wasn't going well and I had zero time for myself. So I'm depleted, stressed, anxious, overwhelmed. 
that's, that is what this giving, 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 overgiving of myself, that's where that got me. I'm so, so glad that you're bringing light to this because you said, finally, I went into burnout. Finally, I reached burnout. Something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. I just want to pause there and and talk about that because that's that's really what happens is it's very it's slow, it's steady, and then boom, we're in adrenal fatigue and that burnout, adrenal fatigue, um, adrenal dysfunction. They all mean the same thing, and it's really important to understand this and tackle this if you have anxiety. And this is something I talk about. I work with every single one of my clients on. It's something I'm actually experiencing myself. And I will do future episodes on like kind of how I found myself in this position. Uh, And it's something that the medical community doesn't address. It's a syndrome, not a diagnosis. And it's definitely not an insurance reimbursable diagnosis. So (laughs) the medical community really isn't going to like address it unless it's something very specific to the adrenal glands, like, you know, Cushing's. Cushing syndrome or Addison's disease, or there's like a tumor or something that's very specific to the adrenal glands. But adrenal fatigue refers to a very broad spectrum of adrenal issues. And everything in your body is connected. Everything affects everything. Your body works as a whole. Your body parts do not work in isolation. And this is the biggest difference between the medical health community or, you know, the sick care, the medical sick care community that we have and the holistic healthcare community. Holistic literally means looking at everything as a whole. And I'm just really pausing here to point this out because if you have anxiety, there is some level of adrenal dysfunction that needs to be addressed. Your adrenal health has everything to do with your brain, your entire hormonal network, uh, which is why April was then seeing these hormonal imbalance implications. Like your brain is part of your hormonal network. And then the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the thyroid, the adrenals, the sex hormones, all of these get impacted. Your sympathetic nervous system gets impacted and your parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve. And then the vagus nerve is going to go on to influence gut health and so on and so forth. It's like this big domino effect. Um, So I wanted to just like point out quickly some of the symptoms, um, just so people can, I mean, April explained some of hers, but just some common ones that I see. And in no way is this an exhausted list, but anxiety specific adrenal fatigue symptoms that I see in my clients that I work with, you know, that I, that I know to be true are obviously feeling anxious, nervous, or panicky, worrying a lot, irritability, low motivation, feeling like depression, feeling heavy, feeling apathetic, Um, feeling like you don't really care about anything, low blood pressure, dizzy when you stand up too fast or when you've been standing for long periods of time, Um, dizziness or vertigo. I I actually had two vertigo spells um, in the last few months as I've been navigating burnout myself. And I had one a few years ago. And now I can pinpoint that, of course, I went to the doctor and they were like, we have no idea why you're feeling this way. <laughs> and usually that's something with vertigo as well. And I, I know my mom has a few friends who have vertigo and same thing. The doctors are like, I have no idea what's going on. And it's like, um, this is like a big, big symptom of something going on with the adrenals. Um, heart flutters, stress-induced chest pain and tightness. That was a major symptom of quote unquote, my anxiety. You know, I'm doing air quotes here because as I'm listing off all these symptoms, are, are these symptoms of anxiety or are they symptoms of adrenal fatigue? And anxiety is not, anxiety is a symptom 
of other things, anxiety is not producing all these symptoms. So the solution here is not to address the anxiety, it's to address the adrenals, it's to address the vagus nerve, it's to address the gut health. So having that tight pain and that, that tightness in your chest, which was huge for me, I lived with that for four years, it just never went away. High blood pressure, um, sensitivity to light, sensitivity to loud noises, feeling jumpy, feeling like you have to go to the washroom all the time. This was, I had this and same thing. My doctor was like, oh, it's from the anxiety. No, it's not. <laughs> I was in adrenal fatigue then and I found myself back in adrenal fatigue now, um, but way less work. I mean, that's arguable, but IBS, huge, um, any stomach issues, any stomach pains, any digestive issues that are worsened by stress. And just a tiny caveat, and then we'll go back to our motherhood and self-care stuff. But I do think it's important to, to highlight this um, about burnout and adrenal fatigue is it's not just like your gut health and your diet and what you eat and what you supplement with. There's actual lifestyle factors here that can contribute and push you into burnout, even if your diet's perfect, even if your gut health is perfect. And that's literally what happened to me a few months ago is I thought that I could outrun burnout, even though I knew my lifestyle was setting me up for it. But I thought because I eat so well and I'm militant about my sleep and I was taking all the supplements and the adrenal support and I was doing all the things, I was reducing my exercise, sinking my exercise. I was doing everything I knew to do. The only thing I wasn't doing was making the lifestyle changes and it pushed me into burnout. Lifestyle is that powerful. And that could be something like um, going through a long period of stress, experiencing trauma, overworking yourself and driving yourself to the point of exhaustion, um, overworking where there's little play in your life, little relaxation for an extended period of time. And if there's any history of alcohol or drug abuse. And for me, you know, um, April experienced this as a mom and it's very common in moms to experience burnout. It's very common in people who teachers, anyone who's in a profession, uh, like a caregiving profession, caregivers, doctors, nutritionists, naturopathic doctors. It's very common in these fields because we tend to overwork, overwork ourselves and give, 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 give. And then we're not taking as much time for ourselves. And that's what I was doing because for me, it's such a fine line because I love what I do so much. And I always say like my job feels like a hobby. And so it became my hobby. And so everything I did became my work. And I just stopped doing anything else because I genuinely liked it. I liked working on my business. I liked reading re research, but I stopped doing anything for myself and my entire life just revolved around my work. It kind of sounds like a mom. <laughs> <laughs> Your business was your was your baby. My business was my baby, and I say that all the time. I'm like, my business is my baby. I'm so fiercely protective of it. Nobody can do it like I can do it. Nobody can love it the way I love it. Nobody's going to be invested in it in the way that I'm invested in it. Like, I feel like a mama bear with my business. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I really, I'm really grateful that you went into all those details with burnout and adrenal fatigue. It's, I definitely had way more of those symptoms than you listed, than I listed. Um, oh, I'm so. not, I'm not even going to list the non-anxiety symptoms because this will be a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just talking to someone in my personal life recently and I, I, ref, I referenced the stress poops and they were like, the stress poops? I'm like, you know, when you're anxious about something or you're, and they're so and watery. Or yeah, yeah, or you have to pee 
there's the stress peas too, I think. Yeah. Um, you have to feel like you pee all the time. And even people who wake yeah. up in the middle of the night to pee, that's not normal. Yes. Yeah. That's because your nervous system can't relax. Yeah. And why? You know, I, I have people say to me like, oh, I have anxiety because my doctor told me that um, I'm having issues with my nervous system. And it's like, yeah, definitely. But why have they explored why? And it's like, no, they've just said it as if it's a fact and it's not a fact. Like it is a fact, but it's not something that can't be changed. Yes. Yes. Oh, I get so worked up about that. Like, okay. And and now what? And what's next? Okay. Let me quickly list off the other symptoms because now I'm all fired up. And I think a lot of moms, I think a lot of moms can um, relate to this, but um, low libido, yep. headaches mm-hmm. and migraines, <laughs> PMS, um, irregular cycles, depending on what season of your life you're in, you could go into an early menopause or have a difficult perimenopause or menopause due to the health of the adrenals. Being a night owl, people are like, I'm a night owl. It's not just like a personality trait. There's something going on in the body, like where you're getting that extra burst of energy and it's very much adrenals. Anything like having with sleep, any sleep issues at all, like waking up in the morning and feeling not like you're not rested, using caffeine to get through the day, having energy crashes from 12 to three, feeling like you need to nap, um, can't fall asleep. You're staying up like that wired, but tired where your body's physically tired, but your mind is racing. Uh, if you need to pee in the middle of the night, if you are either losing a lot, a lot, a lot of weight and you can't seem to stabilize that, um, or you can't seem to lose weight no matter how much you diet and exercise. Cravings is huge. Cravings for carbs, sweets, salty, all that mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I have so many conversations with my clients all the time where I'm like, this is not this is not like a weakness. Like you reaching for carbs and craving carbs, this isn't just about like self-control. It's actually really not about that. It's very much about what's going on in the body that is creating these cravings. Getting hangry is huge. <laughs> Any chronic pain, like but be that your back, your knee, your joints, anything like that, anything with the skin, like eczema, acne, and this rashes, like psoriasis, anything like that. Uh, if it takes you longer than two days to recover from a cold or a flu, like it's you should be able to bounce back quite quickly from a cold or a flu. Uh, PMS. I mean, I can go go on and on, but how many of these do you resonate with? Like did, at that time, April. Yeah, like a million. All of them. <laughs> all of them. All of them. <laughs> I I had this um call it like the Nature Valley diet, which was my granola bar diet, where I would no. crave granola. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is in like remember I was already a holistic nutritionist. And I would buy Nature Valley bars and I would have two for lunch because there's nuts in them. So there's the protein. No, it, they're not. <laughs> we know this. They're full of sugar. But yeah. my body was just like, what can I get in? Because I haven't prepped food. I have, I'm have. i like stressed. I'm overwhelmed. Nothing's done around the house because I'm not enforcing boundaries and other things. And I'm too exhausted to do it. And so t- two granola bars. There's There's a good lunch not <laughs> I used to eat those when I nannied they always had like quick food like that yeah. and I nannied before I went to school um and same thing I'm like busy looking after the kids I'm not prepared because I I don't know you know 
And I'm just grabbing for what's like easy, which is kind of just picking whatever they're eating. They're not eating off their plate and eating granola bars. Right, right, right. Yeah, I knew enough to, I'm looking for, you know, some fat, some protein, some carbs. Okay, should all be in here. We're good. (laughs) We got it. We got it in this highly processed bar. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Like all of those symptoms is what I was living in. And I think I finally, it's like a rock bottom, right? I hit a rock bottom and you don't have to hit the rock bottom. You can be listening to this podcast episode and not go all the way to the bottom, right? You can decide, okay, wait, I can intercept this before it gets out of control. Um, yeah, but I see this all the time with my, my relationship clients where they feel they're coming to me from the perspective of I'm having relationship problems. And when we dig in, because when you're coaching, it's just the, it's the whole life, right? That mm-hmm. comes, comes into play. But I hear about things like this, like I'm too tired. I don't have energy for this. And it's all, it, it's all related to, to not prioritizing themselves and I really think it comes down to, and this is what I've worked on like oh, time and time again with my clients and myself, obviously, is my self-worth, getting back to what that actually looks like and how I used to feel before kids and what are elements of that that I want back so I can feel more like April instead of mom mm-hmm. um, and prioritizing in a way that's more aligned with your care. Because if I tell you to prioritize, you will tell me that you're already doing that and you are. It's just, it's not effective. Mm-hmm. It's not efficient and it's not going to work long-term. Um, and then we look at boundaries. These are really self-worth, priorities, and boundaries are really the top three things that I look at with my clients who aren't prioritizing themselves from a relationship perspective, um, because I usually find that the relationships go down or get damaged before relationships with your kids or elsewhere gets impacted because our, our partners are kind of like our safe zone, right? Like it's not likely that they're just going to up and walk out the door. So they tend to get the punching bag treatment mm-hmm. first. Um, and then I really look at, um, I think you talked about this when you were talking about the symptoms there for a bit. Um, nervous system regulation. I don't know. Is this something you, you talk about Taylor in your work, regulating the nervous system? Yeah. It's one of the pillars. So there's like six, the six pillars of the work I do reduce inflammation, optimize digestive function, boost natural neurotransmitter production, align, like bring your hormones into alignment, stress resilience. So master stress resilience, and then build a flexible nervous system. Because that's mm-hmm. the point of the nervous system. It's not that we avoid all stress and it can never, it's that it bounces back quickly from stress. So I, I really try to emphasize that where it's like, oh, it's not about like rebuilding your nervous system or build building this like, I don't, it's just about building a flexible nervous system so that it bounces back quickly. Yeah, I love, I love this. This was really 
a really important piece in my own healing too when I started to reprioritize myself was finding ways to regulate my nervous system through diet was one of the ways, but there were other other things I did, just lifestyle factors, even just breathing. Yeah, breath work is like huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was massive in in I would I want to say this is kind of what you're talking about, I think, increasing my capacity to hold more in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, having feeling like things aren't getting done around the house or being upset with my husband for not picking up, I don't know, the thing he was supposed to pick up at the store or whatever, feeding our kid the thing that I didn't want him to feed her. Um, all, all of those things, regulating my nervous system was one of the pieces that really helped me to hold those stressors and be able to communicate um, more clearly and calmly and still hold my priorities in my mental and my physical well-being. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is obviously the process I followed, and this is what I do with my clients who are experiencing similar things. Obviously, we don't do the, the diet piece, um, and that's what you do, and we don't specifically focus on anxiety. This is more from a relationship perspective. Taylor is the girl to go to for the anxiety. Nobody's going to be a one-stop shop, you know? Like, I think because we're so conditioned to look at doctors and the medical system as being like the one-stop shop and the be it end all and we'll just go to them because they know everything when they don't like their medical Mm -hmm. education does not cover everything it covers how to medicate and to cut things out and there are certain Mm -hmm. situations where we absolutely need them you know and then there's a whole other area of health that they know nothing about so kind of unlearning or, or or learning that nobody's going to be a one-stop shop and if I think about all the people who've helped and supported me over the years. It's been other nutritionists, naturopathic doctors, psychiatrists, therapists, an inner child coach, relationship coaches, not to mention like, yeah, these are paid, this is paid support, but there's also tons of like amazing free resources that I've utilized as well, or just like really like 20, like we both love the to be magnetic, right? That work. Yeah. And that's like $20 yeah. a month. And that has been very profound in, in my inner child um, work, which helps with self, self-worth, like create so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huge. I, I fully agree with that. And I think we talked about this a little bit in the last episode we did together. Um, but so much of the like the overgiving that I was doing and really looking after my family above myself. Um, it really comes from childhood and just what I observed was the thing you do. The mm-hmm. thing you do is you make dinner and make sure the kids are good and, or maybe your partner makes the dinner, but there's, there's a lot of weight on motherhood and I took that on and you just don't have to just because it's normalized and everyone talks about how it's hard and there's no time in motherhood for yourself. It's just because it's normalized. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's right or that's what you have to buy into. You're like in an echo chamber, right? Where if everybody that you're talking to is also a mother and they're also talking about how hard it is, well, then, yeah, that is going to be your reality. Yes. Yeah. 
then I, I also think it's, this is, you may also want to look at who you're talking to mm-hmm. and who you're listening to, right? Maybe you have um, like a mom friend that you always chat with about how your partner's never doing this and you never have time for this. And maybe you need to stop doing that for a bit and take it to a journal instead and see what comes out or find a coach or a therapist and see what other directions you might be able to take here. Yeah. And look at, so April and I talk about this a lot. It's called expanders. It's a a part of the to be magnetic work. And April and I are constantly like helping each other find expanders But basically Mm -hmm. like what it means is like looking at people who are doing it differently and people who are doing it the way you want to do it. So if you want to mother in a way where you have this amazing relationship with your husband, even though obviously it's going to take work, sometimes all relationships are work, but you have this fantastic Mm -hmm. relationship, you have this great sex life and your kids are as happy and healthy as they possibly can be. And you also go to the gym and you feed yourself like all this nutritious food. Look for people who are doing that because they're out there. Like I'm so inundated in the holistic health community. It's all I see. All I see is mothers who are doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's true because when I was in it, when I was in that fog, I would say from the age of zero to two, when she, when my daughter was zero to two years old, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I was not seeing expanders. I was seeing what I believe to be true and that just reinforces it more. So to, I don't know, take me for example. I, yes, my daughter is older now, but I changed this when she was two. Yeah. Walk us um, through that a little bit. Like walk us through how you made these changes and kind of what you do now, how you support yourself now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I am very ambitious. I really like to jump feet first into change. And this was probably one of the first times where I was met with, oh, whoa, that's not going to work here. And because I was so burnt out and exhausted and the adrenal implications and everything, my body just, I I couldn't do it. So I was really forced to take a baby step approach, which I'm really grateful for now. And I've learned a lot about baby step um, when it comes to personal development and growth. Um, Since I did this two, not two years ago, I guess four, four and a half years ago now, Um, I really, how I started this process was, I think it really started with an awareness. So that could be you right now listening to this, but I don't remember how that happened for me, but there was something clicked and I realized, oh no, I do remember. I'll just briefly share like a a short little, Mm -hmm, please. Yeah. Little anecdote. Yeah. (laughs) This is how it happened for me. Um, I had like a, an, I don't know if I can swear on here. And, yes, you and, can. Okay. I'll put like an E. I, I usually swear. I don't know if I have an episode so far, but I, I have like the mouth of a sailor as my mother always says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I try to not, but this is, this was my oh shit moment. That's where... not even a bad word. <laughs> yeah, it's not even. Anyway. An oh shit yes. <laughs> um, I was I was co-sleeping with my daughter at the time because she wouldn't sleep. So this was another part of it, right? I wasn't sleeping. She wasn't sleeping. And she's two years old at this point. And she woke up this one morning at seven o'clock in the morning. And 
she was waking me up and I was beyond irritable. I was angry. How is she waking up? It's only seven o'clock. And I was, I don't know, her cute little face. Like I could just see it in her eyes. She didn't understand why I was so frustrated that she wanted to get up. Seven o'clock isn't early. She used to get up at five. And I know for many moms, we have early risers. So seven o'clock is like amazing. <laughs> seven o'clock is amazing for a child to get up. It was because I was so burnt out. I, I like wish up. my cats got up at that time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. Seven o'clock is a great time. They get up at five and I'm like, you're so cute, but like, let me sleep until six. You're really annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. So for and and at this time I was staying up until about two o'clock in the morning to get alone time. Ah, and then she would get up. Yes. I see the she problem. Plus <laughs> yes. all the diet and the stress yeah. and overwhelm in life, right? Yeah. Um, so seven o'clock in this one particular day, I was so frustrated. I wasn't yelling at her, but I was angry. And for one flash of a second, I saw it in her eyes that she couldn't understand what, like, had she done something wrong? She didn't understand why I was so upset. Mm -hmm. And it just gutted me. And I realized in that moment, it's not, it's not what time she woke up. It's because I stayed up until 2 friggin' a.m. in the morning again, like I'm doing every day. I'm not taking care of myself and I'm a zombie all day with her Mm -hmm. until we can both nap, which the naps were disappearing at that time too, because I would just nap with her and then I would get some relief. Um, But the naps were starting to disappear during the daytime and that was really negatively impacting my vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was my turning point and it's, I can't really everyone's will be different it there's something that's just gonna click and you're going to feel like I can't do this anymore there's got to be a different way and so from this point what I did was I wrote down all of the things that were wrong (laughs) which was exhausting. we love a good list (laughs) yeah I went on a little I wouldn't even say it was a pity party it was just okay what is wrong in my life how do I feel how do, like what do I really like, what hate? does like not feel good like I feel like wrong you know me I'm such a stickler for language yeah and I'm like language is important and powerful so it's not even like what's wrong it's like what's doesn't feel good like what doesn't feel yeah. good in my life like what is not supportive to my health and my goals and my relationships with my daughter and my partner and etc mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's it that's it. So I made this big, it was like a brain dump. I wrote it all down. And on there were all the things that I've talked about. My sleep, my relationship, my relationship with my daughter was on there. My mommy mode was on there. Just so there were a lot of things on this list. (laughs) And then I decided which one was the worst, which one felt like it was impacting my life the most. Mm -hmm. And I I then wrote down a few, I brainstormed a few action steps or ideas on what I think I might be able to do to help that. And I chose one of those. And I think it started with my sleep at this time. And instead of going to bed at 
10 o'clock at night, which I probably should have done at this point in my life, 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. was way too big of a jump. So this looked at this looked like 140 or yeah, 1:45 a.m. was what I did for a week. Yeah, and then I would keep adding. I would improve my sleep a little bit every week. Sometimes I could make bigger jumps, and that was better. And I think water was the other thing I did in tandem with that. And little bit by little bit, I started to eat better. I started to shower more often. Yay! (laughs) I didn't smell. (laughs) Um, My intimacy got better. And I was able to start asking my husband for more help with things and allowing him to do things his way. And letting that be okay. Mm-hmm. Relinquishing some control. Yes. Yes. I was big on control and I realized I could be, I could still have control in some areas, but I was going to be intentional about where I was going to use that control. I love that you mentioned that about the sleep. And I mean, we've talked about baby steps so much, so much in this episode. In the last episode you were on, in the future episodes that I know you'll be on, I'm sure the baby steps will come up again. But this is exactly what I do with my clients with sleep as well. Like if I'm starting to work with somebody and they're going to bed at 2, 3 a.m., which has happened, then I'm not telling them, get your butt to bed at 10 o'clock. That's not going to happen. They're not going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. it just it's way too far-fetched. And so that's literally what I do. If you're going to bed at 3, 2.45 for a week. Next week, 2.30. Yeah. Next week, 2.15. It sometimes takes that long, but isn't it better if it takes you six, seven, eight, nine weeks to get to 10 o'clock? Isn't that better than never getting there? Yeah. And it's the same thing with protein, you know, like I, it's so funny. Every time I talk about protein on my social media, I always get these messages like 90 grams, how with like a million question marks. And it's like, it's actually not that hard, but it's going to seem really hard if you're eating 25, 30 40 grams, which is what most people are eating. Most, most women are eating. If you're plant-based, it might not even be at that. I had a client who, who is plant-based and, um, it took her six months to get, to find a way to get to 90 grams in a way that felt good to her. But isn't it better to do that than to never do that? Sometimes it right. does take that long. And I know that's what people don't want to hear, but you're still moving in the right direction. And when you get there, you're going to feel amazing. And that's not to say it took her six months to feel good. Yeah. It just took her six months to get to that macro. Yeah. You feel, you feel better. Along with every the way. Change mm-hmm. you make. Yeah. You're feeling better and better. Um, I think also it's really there's like, there's definitely a big part of me that always wanted fast change. Um, but then I remember there being a part of me that was resistant to working with a coach because I thought it happened. Like if it was, let's say a six week program, I thought that by the end of six weeks, I was going to have to have all of this under control and together. And I, as a mom in my mom years, I knew I couldn't do that and I didn't want to set myself up to fail. So I think it's really beautiful that you're talking about how it's okay to take these baby steps and it's encouraged to take baby steps. And if something 
just because a program, or I think you feel the same way, just because a program is a certain number of weeks or something doesn't mean that you have to fit your life into that and, and do all of the things each week. You're, you're different. Everyone is different and you're going to feel better every step of the way. But really, especially for something like anxiety and motherhood, be easy on yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a pro the length of a program is not the length of the program is the length of the time that you're getting the support. The length of the program is not the length of the time that it, it may take you to make all the changes. That's mm-hmm. a very big difference. Like yeah. the results continue to come after the program is over and it's not a one and done thing. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to like my program, for example, my private coaching program, breaking up with anxiety is four months. That means that I'm supporting you every single week privately for four months. But that doesn't mean the work stops after four months. Mm-hmm. I need four months to share with somebody the changes that need to be made. I support them in making the changes in a way that suits their timeline for four months. And then they have a solid foundation and they continue to the work because this is the work of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the results sometimes come like, my clients all get results in the first four months, but I get messages one year later, a year and a half later, two years later. Like I got a message a few weeks ago from a client that I worked with two years ago who this was the first time that she traveled solo since working together. And she was sending me messages being like, I never in a million years thought I could travel on my own. And I worked with her two years ago. That's so beautiful. Like the results come keep coming and they come with time. And when you're faced with different situations and you respond a different way, you're like, oh, wow. You know, and I think people go into, I mean, I know people go into a program working with me and they're like, great, you're going to fix everything in four months. And it's like, no, (laughs) four months, I'm going to give you all the tools and I'm going to give it to you very slowly in baby steps. And I'm going to support you for four months. But you're going to do the work and you're going to get the results. I'm just the guide. I'm not actually doing much. I mean, I'm answering questions and I have the knowledge, but they're doing all the work. It's all on them. And I think that's so beautiful and so empowering. And then those four months are up and you might still have a few pieces of the puzzle that you need to work on, but you've already jumped like leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you've expanded, like you've changed your anxiety just in the, in the four months, you've changed your anxiety to the point where y- you can, you can continue to do those things on your own. Or I guess if you wanted additional support, you could definitely get that. Yeah. But I have that like as an option. Yeah. You've expanded and learned and integrated so much that you can do those things. It's, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I wanted to say, because you're talking about this ripple effect and how it just continues. Mm-hmm. From a mom perspective, um, the changes that I made when my daughter was two, she, the, the beautiful thing about it from the perspective of a mom is your kids are watching you. Mm-hmm. So she, not only am I doing it for me, and it might have only started with water in the morning. But she sees me drink water in the morning and she knows we drink water when we wake up in the morning. And if I'm preparing lunch, even now when she's six and a half, 
she'll ask me, sometimes I put her plate on the table and I, I don't know, let's say I put frozen blueberries on there and cut up cucumber and I put it on the plate so she can start eating because she's ravenous apparently (laughs) and it's like never stopped and um I'm like I'm still in the process of getting hummus or something else out of the fridge or like an egg and other things to add to it for protein and fat and things to balance her blood sugar and she will say to me but there's no protein or fat on here like yes oh my god what like I don't, I mean, you know that I don't know if human children are part of my future, but this would be like, I'm like, I hope my child is like this. Like, I want my child to be like, I want water. Where is my protein? Doing yoga. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's it's just like it gives you those full body chills. Like, oh my God. The only reason that's happening is because they're watching you do it. Yes, yes. Yeah. How would she know that? They're not teaching that at school. I love that Aurora asks for protein. My girl. (laughs) And she's very, I would consider her to be a quote unquote picky eater, but her picky foods include fruits and vegetables and whole foods. So I'm okay with it. But, and she, she knows enough that she knows enough to ask for that, that something's missing and she can't just even, especially like bedtime snack. She knows that I will only let her have something that has protein and fat because it's going to keep her her blood sugar stable when she goes to bed. If she wants like a freezy before bed, that's a no-go. Okay, you've <laughs> never told me this and I'm actually freaking out because like she's literally going to grow up and this is going to be her normal. Yes. Her normal yes. is that is going to be all my meals need protein and when she's even older to understand how much protein, I'm sure that's a conversation you'll have with her. And so she's just going to like be a teenager and like be in university if she goes or whatever. And it's just going to be super normal for her to build her plates that way. Like that to me is insane. Like I wish my parents did that. (laughs) Or if she falls off, let's say she's in university and she- Which will totally happen, which is fine. Yeah. 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 She starts eating like crap. She will, she should have <laughs> by that point, have the knowledge base to be able to check in with herself and realize, oh, it's because I've been eating Mr. Noodles for four days yeah. and nothing else. Like there's pieces missing. Yeah. And she'll be like, you know, 17, 18 at that point, And she will, because since she was two or three, this is when you really kind of started to to prioritize yourself and to put your needs first around two or three. Right. So that's a, that's her entire life basically. Yeah. So then also, isn't it, let's say you're doing everything for the kids. Isn't that worth it? Yes. To prioritize yourself. Yeah, exactly. Like if you're doing everything for the kids, which is what moms are doing, everything is for them. Doesn't that mean, and it's a mindset shift, doesn't that mean that by you taking care of yourself and putting yourself first and modeling that, especially if you have a daughter, don't you want your daughter to put herself, I mean, sons as well, but I only have girls in my family. We're all sisters. And I, I think of my stepmom who I, I love her so much, but she was like, she's the stereotypical, like typical, like martyr mother who's like, my family comes first, first and foremost, and at any expense. And if that expense was like her health, she just bent over backwards for us. And I love her dearly for that, but that's what was modeled to me. And I've broken that pattern 
thank you, like 11, 12 years of therapy. Thank you, anxiety disorder, for pointing me in this direction and learning all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've broken that. And if I do have human children, it won't be like that for me. But I could have very easily just repeated that pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love that reframe there too, where you thanked your anxiety disorder and it, it, this beautiful things can come from it. Yeah. Oh, I say that all the time. I'm like, in hindsight, obviously, if you ask me from 2011 to 2015, if I was grateful for my anxiety, I would say, fuck no. (laughs) I would say this is the worst thing ever. But now in hindsight, I'm just like, it taught, I don't know if I would know, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. I wouldn't know the things. I don't know if I would have found the things I know now, if it hadn't Mm -hmm. have been for that. And I just couldn't imagine what my life would look like if I had never found holistic health, which isn't just diet. It's, it's like boundaries and self-worth and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, such a good conversation. Okay. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you. If you needed to wrap this up into three to five steps, <laughs> I just like, <laughs> love steps so much. What would you, what would they be? Yeah. So let's go with number one. What are your biggest pain points? What is not going well in your life? Make a list so you can objectively see what those things are. And then I would prioritize which one feels the hardest, the biggest, the most negatively impacting your relationships in your life. And that's going to be the one that likely feels the hardest to work on, but is the most important one for you to work on. And then I would look at, I'm going to have two more steps here. That's fine. And then I, okay. <laughs> sometimes it's yeah. hard. Like I ask myself this question sometimes when I'm doing workshops and I'm like, I can't do five. I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would look at, jot down some possible baby steps, some possible people you could go to or actions you could take or things you could read or like drinking water in the morning, just little things and take one of them on. And then my next step I would say is assuming you're in a relationship, um, I would communicate this with your partner at this point and, or even at any point along these steps, I would communicate with them. And if you don't know how to communicate with your partner, just come and do a little binging on my Instagram page um, or send me a DM and I can point you in the right direction. But really, it's so important to communicate with your partner because they are going to be your support system as you heal and reprioritize yourself. And guess what? Their life is changing because you're going to be setting some boundaries probably with them setting some boundaries with your time, with your kids, with your family, with work, and they're going to likely need to know what's up and why things are changing. So learning how to communicate and be open with them about how you're feeling and what you're working on healing and changing in your life. So not only you can feel better, but also your relationship can feel better if that is something that's impacting you. Mm -hmm. Not like it can, it will. Yeah, it will. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's where I would. And then I want to throw a rest on the end there, but um, (laughs) that's at the the very end, I would say, because that's just going to organically come as you start to prioritize yourself. 
but little, I mean, like I, I started practicing sitting on the couch for one minute when my daughter was two and doing nothing or picking up a book and not actually reading it because I couldn't focus, but I would practice the act of actually sitting down. So, I mean, she's learned now that rest is okay. Um, but I was more so, um, practicing, I want to say like allowing my body to practice the exercise of rest before I could actually get into it and feel like I was resting because one minute isn't long enough to rest, but it it's practice. It's moving in that direction. It's baby steps. Like baby steps. I, my therapist gave me this homework years ago now because I've since 2015 I've just been like once I once I went to school I was like hooked like right it like Mm -hmm. this world just like hooked me in and down the rabbit hole I went and so I feel like since 2015 it's just been like constant research and reading and improving and all these things and like I had mentioned before there was such a fine line between like this becoming almost like an obsession of mine and everything I did. And my therapist kind of caught on to that a few years ago, even before I like <laughs> went into burnout. Um, and she was like, after you're done, like work, like, so you pick what time that is. Is it five o'clock? Is it seven o'clock? Five o'clock is when I finish like my you know government job. And then I usually will work like until six, just wrapping things up from five to six with like clients and, and maybe doing some writing. And I work in the morning before work as well. So she's like, okay, let's say it's like six o'clock. Then you put, shut everything down. You go into the bedroom, you close the door, you sit on the bed and lie on the bed and you do nothing for half an hour. You do nothing. You don't read. You don't meditate. You're not doing anything. You're not doing any self-improvement. You're doing nothing. You're just practicing doing nothing because doing nothing is the most productive thing you can do for your health right now. And it was so hard. And I didn't start with 30 minutes. It was like, it felt impossible. I was like, I need to do something. And I started with like five or 10 minutes and it built and it built and it built until eventually I would come to like, look forward to that. I'd be like, Oh, it's my 30 minutes of nothing time. (laughs) Nobody talked to me. I love that. I think I might incorporate nothing time. (laughs) I like the idea of laying on the bed and doing nothing. That feels like it takes it to another level for me. Mm -hmm. And like, I'll let my cats in like sometimes and I'll just like, they'll sit on my belly and I'll pet them. To me, I'm like, well, this is, that's fine. Like I'm just spending Mm -hmm. quality time with my cats. Um, But it's a practice that I actually fell off of and I made a mental note to myself earlier this week to, to get back on it. So I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Oh, well, thank you so much again for coming on. I can't wait to have you back. Don't know what we'll talk about. Well, I know I have so many ideas, but (laughs) oh, we're going to do love languages. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Just tell everybody, I'll link everything in the show notes, but let everyone know like where they can find you. Yeah. So the best place to find me is really on Instagram. I'm kind of peppered all over social media, but Instagram is where I like to hang out. And my handle is aprilmather.xo. That's A-P-R-I-L. 
M-A-T-H-E-R.xo. And I especially like to hang out in my stories. So if you want to see what's going on in my business life and my personal life, come visit me over there. Love it. Thanks, April. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. And that is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's episode, I would so appreciate if you left a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to right now. My goal with this podcast is to reach as many people as possible to spread awareness that anxiety is not this incurable disease. It's not something we just have to live with. It's definitely not just part of your personality. And there are body-based imbalances that need to be addressed in order to truly be free from chronic anxiety. With awareness comes action. And the more people this podcast can reach, the less people will struggle with anxiety. And positive reviews are the number one way to help new people discover the show. You are the best. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you so, so, so much. One last thing, my legal medical disclaimer. The Breaking Up With Anxiety podcast with me, Taylor Jandro, is for general information and educational purposes only. And the advice and recommendations I give or my guests give throughout the episodes do not replace medical advice. The consumption of this podcast does not qualify as a practitioner-client relationship with me, and the use and implementation of the information discussed are at the sole discretion of the listener. Yes, I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. So please discuss any changes with your primary healthcare provider. Okay, that's it. Until the next episode, bye for now.